Chet Holmgren is not as tall as they get thrown out by. Welcome back to Royals Weekly. I am your host, Marcus Mead, and joining me as always, the Vice President of the North American Chapter of the Adult Bedwetter Society, my brother Mike. It is a real affliction, and there are dozens of us. Dozens! Okay. Have you, I'm sure you've seen the, uh, I don't know if you're an Arrested Development guy or not, but, oh gosh, what a great show. An underappreciated show. I don't have to do a just a bit outside for this. If you've never seen Arrested Development, go watch it. It is hilarious. Well, we're going to talk more about uh, that later. No, we're not. <laughs> we're not going to bring that up later. We're going to focus a little bit on the Royals this week. No, we're done with the rest of development for uh, the On this week's episode, we'll discuss another 500 week from the Royals. Take a close look at the mercurial bullpen that the Royals have. If you don't know what that word means, it means sort of up and down, uh, not really a reliable bullpen. And uh, preview this week's slate of games. Mike, how do you feel about how this week went or the week that was? A little disappointed in that. You you have what you consider maybe is a good series against the Angels and with a strong opportunity to beat up on a bad Oakland A's team, and you don't take advantage of it. So that kind of sucks. And even in the Angels series, it kind of felt like you missed some opportunities there. Now, that third game was a steamrolling. But, you know, there were, there were times when you're like, okay, how the Royals really should be up by more. They should have already put this game away, especially that second game. We let them back into the game and – um, so it was a little disappointing this week, but this is a disappointing baseball team. So, Well, yeah, it, especially in this Oakland series. I mean, they took two of three from the Angels. They And then you watch the last two games of this Oakland series, and it's all mistakes that really shouldn't take place. And we're going to talk more about that a little bit later. But yeah, I, I understand the disappointed feeling when you watch guys getting thrown on the base paths or making defensive mistakes. That's the stuff that really just digs that knife in nice and deep. A lot of roster news to get to this week. The Royals have been injured. They've been getting guys back from injury. It's been a real up and down week as far as the roster goes. The big news, of course, Salvador Perez re-injured his left thumb. He's been sent to the 10-day injured list, but it's going to be a lot longer than that because he did require surgery on that thumb. He got that this week, but he's going to be down, I would say, at least two months. Uh, I would say maybe September is when they can think about maybe getting him back. We'll see on that. He's the type of guy who tries to rush back all the time. So maybe that's something he'll try again, but it's definitely going to be a long stretch without Salvador Perez. And that that's weird too, because he's been a guy who's always came back earlier from injury and things like that. Matheny's history in St. Louis is very poor on bringing guys back too soon. And this thumb injury was something that he had sustained earlier in the year. So there was some question of, did he come back too soon? One, as a coach, does he have a responsibility to protect his player from himself? You know, just because players want to come back from an injury doesn't mean you have to let them. No. And, you know, that was part of what pushed Matheny out of St. Louis was that he was pressuring guys to come back when they were still hurt. And so, yeah, that's it's kind of a weird thing. A, A couple people talked about it in the social media sphere, but I didn't hear a whole lot of people asking the question of, is this Matheny not protecting a player from himself? Well, that has to be a question because it's almost become a pattern now. I mean, we saw it with Hunter Dozier last year, a guy pushing himself through a thumb injury when he really should be resting, taking time. Matheny, I don't know if he's pushing him or if he's just letting him push himself. Either way, it's your responsibility as the manager to say, no, you're not swinging the bat the same way. We could all see it. It was all, it was pretty blatant on the field. 
no, you're not swinging the bat the same way. No, you don't look fully recovered. You're going to sit today. You're going to sit for the next week, however long it takes to make sure that these guys are healthy and playing at their best. Because honestly, 80% of any baseball player isn't as good as the next guy. And so we need 100% healthy players to the extent that they can be. And Salvador Perez clearly wasn't that. And if Matheny's not, you know, being responsible in that way, then he really needs to either be sat down and told he needs to be, or maybe they move on from a diff- to a different manager or something like that. Because clearly this is a pattern with him, and, and that's a problem for the Royals team. Another guy who's going to go on the shelf for a little bit is Daniel Lynch. He's been put on the 15-day injured list he had with a blister on his left index finger. So that's his pitching index finger. Uh, so blisters for him, he's going to have to go on the, I won't, I don't see it taking much longer than that. Some guys have like chronic issues with blisters. Hopefully this is just like a one-time thing for him, but he'll be down uh, for a little while, which is too bad because he had a really good start this week. I hope he could have built on that. But you could but, see it. Yeah. You could see it in that start. Yeah. There were times when he was like looking at his hand and, and, and yeah, you could tell that something wasn't right with his hand. If you don't know, for, for those guys who sort of spin those, those breaking balls with, you know, a ton of spin, it, those, those seams, they really cut into your fingers and that causes blisters for some guys. And so hopefully he bounces back from that and looks a lot better. Another guy placed on the, another pitcher thrown on the 15 day IL, Josh Stamont. He was just placed on today. This is Sunday, June 26th. Stamont went on the uh, 15 day injury list as well with a neck strain. Uh, he was clearly having problems in his last outing. Clearly wasn't feeling right. Uh, not throwing very hard. It was, it was, it was pretty bad. And so apparently he's going to go on the aisle for that and see if they can figure out what the source of this next strain is. Um, because of that, some guys have been brought up, including Jackson Kowar, who was brought up today. And Matheny's come out and said he's going to have sort of some sort of hybrid role for them. Going to throw some relief innings, maybe start sometimes, maybe do long relief. I'm not exactly sure. I think they're just running out of arms. I don't think he did anything in AAA that necessitated his call up, but the Royals are just scrounging for pitching at this point. Yeah, I would have liked to have seen him not be the guy that they called up, but yeah, I don't think he's done a whole lot. They, there are, and Alec Lewis came out with a breakdown of this a little while ago. There was an article that he had that the Royals had identified several things that he needed to work on in AAA, and he was doing some of those things with some success. I think as soon as that article came out, he got like shelled in his next outing. Um, so he has still had some struggles in AAA, but if he's working on those things, it has worked on those things, I'd rather see him continue that down there rather than coming up here and not really having a defined role. I am though of the thought that I, that being in a bullpen role could help him gain confidence, could help him learn to get out major league hitters. We saw this with Zach Greinke early, early in his career. Um, but I just don't know that this is being done because he's at a point where he is capable of doing that. Or if it's just because they don't have anybody else. I think it's the second, because I think the ideal situation for Kowar would be, Step one, you see that secondary data, like his extension and things like that. You see that sort of uh, pitching data hit the markers that you want from him. That's step one. Step two, you start seeing it in the overall numbers down in AAA. So he's, he has a stretch of good outings that are like, oh, is it went five with no earned runs or six with a couple earned runs? You know, the strikeouts are up, the walks are down. That's that sort of thing. You start seeing it in that pitching data first, then the overall game data, and then you bring him up. I think I think maybe he's got the pitching data. We don't get to see that. We don't get to see what his extension numbers are and things like that and different pitch metrics and spin rates and things like that. But the overall numbers haven't been there for quite like the stretch you would want it to be. And so I think maybe this is just a rush up because they need arms. doesn't mean he can't have success. doesn't mean he won't be successful. I really hope he gets limited outings and gets some success in those outings to build confidence for him. I think that's important for him. So we'll see if that ends up turning, turning out to be the case. I think if we're talking best case scenario, 
he gets in there and starts having a lot of success in a bullpen role, and they just leave him in that role for the rest of this year before they give him a shot to be in the starting rotation again next year. I think if that's he gets a good right. long stretch of success in the bullpen, that could be something that you build on. If he doesn't, now, worst case scenario comes up and just everything goes back to where it was. And uh, and that you see that happen because if guys don't have enough time to really ingrain those changes that they've made at the minor league level, when stuff starts getting tough, they're going back to what they did before. And that's not going to be good for him. No, it is not. A guy who could go back to what he did before and it'd be great was is Edward Olivares. He came back this week as well. Uh, he activated when I forget who got placed on the injured list, but Olivares was activated yesterday, Saturday for Saturday's game, hit two home runs in his first game back. Looked like he was stepping right back where he was hot hitting at the beginning of the year. And then, uh, or, sorry, that was Friday. And then yesterday, Saturday, he had just an atrocious Cheers. game. I think he went 0 for 5, four strikeouts, dropped two balls in the sun, just looked as bad as a player can look basically yesterday. And then today it was a mixed bag. He hit, he hit a pinch hit single and then he got thrown out on the bases. It's just a real, you never know with Edward Olivares. <laughs> you just never, he's like, he's like yeah. rolling the dice out there every time with him. Yeah. And you can, you can still see the hard contact, I guess that's good. right? <laughs> but man, that, that other stuff is like, what the hell is he doing? I looked at his numbers in the, in the minors. He wasn't like tearing it up in triple a or anything like that. So, you know, it, it might take him a little bit of time just to get, his swing and everything back under him. Hopefully he can limit the mistakes that he makes in the outfield and on the base paths because the guy can really hit. And so it'd be nice to see him have some success uh, in that Friday game. Uh, he also, we also saw the return of Zach Granke along with, along with Edward Olivares. He went out and pitched a real quality start uh, for the uh, Royals and got them a win, I think in that game. And so, uh, yeah, it was great to see him back out there just doing classic Granke things, spotting the ball where it needed to go, you know, pitching a contact, getting a lot of fly balls to center field. I saw a lot of those. And so, uh, good on Granky. It'll be interesting to see how he continues uh, moving forward. Because of all that, players coming, going, all that sort of thing, the Royals ended up going three and three this week, which brings that's a 500 week. That's two 500 weeks in a row. I guess that's progress. Is that what do we call that progress? <laughs> Woo. <laughs> Woo. We are rolling, baby. <laughs> even the, for the Royals, even, even what is mediocre looks like progress. We're like, yay! 500 baseball. Give that to me all day. (laughs) Their overall record is now 26 and 45. Uh, They took two or three from the angels to start the week. Looked good for those first two games. I'm not going to blame them for the third game. They ran into a friggin' buzzsaw in Shohei Otani. He is so good. And he just tore them to pieces in that third game. But the, the, so you come out of that angel series feeling like, Hey, this could be a winning week. They're playing Oakland Mm -hmm. next. We got this. Then they lose the series to Oakland. They looked bad especially in the last two games, poor defense, poor base running. Can we, can we just talk about the base running for a second? I mean, is it not Brown water trash or what? Like the, all season long, their base running has looked terrible. I mean, Andrew Benintendi, even in the first part of the year when he was hitting like crazy, his base running was still garbage. Like he's getting thrown garbage. out on the base path. We're trying to stretch singles into doubles and getting thrown out by not a step like feet upon feet. You know, (laughs) we're getting thrown out of home plate by half the base path. You're like, what the hell is happening here? Nobody taken in the NBA draft this weekend or this week could, could is is long enough is as long as they're getting thrown (laughs) out by, you know what I'm saying? Like Chet Holmgren is not as tall as they get thrown out by. I know it is insane. And I'm wondering like, who's, who's coaching this? Who's telling them, you know what guys, anytime we get a hit, we got to try for that extra base (laughs) and get thrown out every single time. 
It doesn't matter. I don't care who's fielding it. I don't care where the ball goes. You're going for second. And sometimes it's guys where you're like, you would never cons- you should never be an aggressive base runner. Carlos no. Santana, you should never be an aggressive no. base runner. Like no. you and in the past, we've kind of thought of him as like, well, he's a smart base runner. He's slow, but he's a smart base runner. No, he hasn't looked good either. Like No, he's looked bad. <laughs> what are we what are we doing? He got thrown out, was it Saturday, I think? I was like, good golly. It, I got to thinking about this today as I was thinking about like, well, what would my philosophy be if I were a coach? What would my philosophy towards base running be? And I thought to myself, well, the number one thing would be do not get thrown out on the bases. That would yeah. be my biggest one, right? Because giving away outs are the most precious thing you have as a team. Giving them away on the bases is ridiculous. It just makes no sense. You you advance if you know you can advance. If you're a guy like Bobby Witt Jr., you know you can steal bases, maybe, you know, do that. But the the over-aggressiveness, the aggressiveness to the point of, of just taking so many outs on the bases – Makes absolutely no sense to me. Honestly, they should be a pretty good base running team. And if you look at their metrics, they're pretty good. But just because they have really fast players, they have the fastest player in baseball in Bobby Wood Jr. They have Whit Merrifield, who's pretty fast. They have Michael A. Taylor, who's pretty fast. They have a lot of speed on their team. And I think that bumps up their metrics a little bit. But man, they get thrown out on the bases a lot. Yes, they do. And and from guys that, you know, you would think, oh, Andrew Benintendi's been around. He's not a. Yeah. He's not new. <laughs> like no. he's he's the guy you expect him to do smart things on the base paths. Carlos Santana as well. That's just baffling. Like how has no one ever taught them how to run the bases? Well, that's that's the question or the thing I have here in the rundown is what are the coaches telling them? Like what mm-hmm. are they saying to produce this level of? I don't want to call it incompetence on the base paths. It is incompetence. Unpreparedness. I don't know. <laughs> like you, it's, it's not great. And a lot of people will point to like the third base coach and say, Hey, you know, he can't send guys. It's not just happening at home. Like they're, they're getting thrown a lot out of everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Like they're getting thrown out everywhere. So it's, uh, it's weird to see, especially on a, on a really bad baseball team. And you're like, what's the things we can hold on to? We can't even hold on to base running right now. <laughs> like no. that's not, that's not us. Not really. No. Well, we can't hold on to base running, but maybe we can hold on to some uh, strong performances that we saw from players this week. One of the guys who gets thrown out on the bases a lot had a pretty good week hitting Mike. Tell us about Carlos yeah. Santana and what he did with the, with the stick this week. Yeah. And I'm sitting there today after he gets that opposite field single to uh, tie the game. So it was the fifth or sixth, something like that. Tied it two two. Yeah, tied it up two to two. Uh, hit you know the bases were were they loaded when he got in? No, I think yeah, second, they were, uh, they, maybe no, they, they were loaded. loaded. They were yeah, they were loaded. Cause, yeah, because yeah, Melendez, Melendez had just missed out. that. Yeah, yeah. Just, missed just missed that grand, grand slam. slam. Yeah, but uh, Santana has really become something that maybe you can get something for in a trade now. He had an eight for nineteen week, which is another really strong week. Uh, he had been walking a lot already, but this is actually hitting too. He had three doubles this week. He had a home run this week. Two walks, like we are used accustomed to him seeing or cut accustomed to him doing i can speak don't tell me all right you can't speak um, <laughs> so it was, it's good to see that you know if he's the kind of guy that if you are going to get any value out of him you may need a little bit more uh of a stretch here where he's actually producing offensively to get anything for him just because he was so bad for so long and the age level is so high that you're like okay we don't we need to con- consistently see that he's going to give a team something before they're going to give up anything to get him but you know what's weird i i see carlos santana going to some sort of contender and being that guy in october that's just that just like carries a team in october and you're like 
where did this come from? Like his last hurrah uh, kind of at the major league level. If, if he's given that opportunity. Yeah. He's the type of guy who might come up with some big hits for teams or some big at bats at least because you know, he's going to take pretty good ones. You know, he's going to yeah. be patient most of the time. You know, he's not, he just doesn't have that kind of power. Although in a different ballpark, his power is going to play differently. You know, he doesn't have enough power right now to hit balls out consistently at Kaufman, but you put him in a place like, I don't know, you put him in Philadelphia. That's a different story. You put him in, you're not going to put him in Cincinnati because they're terrible. Uh, I, I don't <laughs> know. The, the smaller ballpark parks of the league. Uh, and he, yeah, he might be able to put a few more balls out for them. And so, yeah, it might, might behoove a team to go ahead and say, hey, we'll give you a long shot relief prospect or something like that so we can see if, if Santana can help us in a pennant race, especially with the uh, expanded playoffs this year. So that might be something a team is interested in. If not, they're going to have to just let him go, which is interesting because he's actually hitting well right now. But, you know, who wants a 36-year-old first baseman? Uh, hopefully someone. I'm more interested in the young hitters, young hitters like Bobby Witt Jr., who I'm going to talk about for my strong performer for the week. He went off this week. Great to see. Love it when Bobby does well. It was a six for 23 week for him. He hit one double, one triple, three home runs. And here's the part that I love, four walks and only four strikeouts. That's what's going to be the difference maker for Bobby Witt Jr. He had three walks today in today's game, and one of them was huge and important and really showed his level of maturity. It was later in the game. Yeah, I think it was in that sixth inning. I think it was. It was in yeah. that inning where yeah, yeah it was he, in that sixth. He got inning. up three zero, then it went three two. Yeah, well, here, so here's the about. We got we got to lay it out there just for him. There was a person, the person on first and second, I think, or second and third. Not entirely sure. I think it was just first. I think he was the second. Okay. Guy up. Uh, no, no, he, no, there were, there were two people on for him. Oh no. Nikki was on. No, Nikki was on third because he just hit that right, triple. Right. Right. Yes. Yes. It was Nikki was on third. Somebody was on first. I don't know. Yeah, uh, Benintendi took a walk, I think, or Witt, one of the two well, yeah. took a walk. Anyway, so third and first, Bobby Witt Jr. is up. I think there are two outs at the – no, maybe just one out. Just one out. No, just one. Just one out. Yeah. Bobby Witt Jr., I'm, I, I tweet out to everybody, hey, this is a really big at-bat for him because in the past, he's going to really want to come through in this moment. He's going to want to be the hero. He's going to be swinging a lot out of his shoes. Guy starts him out with a ball, 1-0, doesn't swing. Fastball outside, doesn't swing. Great. Next pitch, also outside, also doesn't swing. Third pitch, doesn't swing. He gets to 3-0. Now, in this moment, you may be thinking, oh, he's definitely going to swing out of his shoes in any ball in the strike zone here. Gets a ball that's pretty much outside, down a little bit down and away, not in his nitro zone, but definitely a strike. And he takes it, fastball. So now it's 3-1. Gets another fastball, really on the edge, really good pitch, but it's a strike. 3-2. I was super impressed that he didn't swing at either of those pitches. And then he gets a third pitch or another pitch that's a ball ends up walking. Really great at bat. Just so so much maturity to take a walk in that moment instead of getting outside of his plan and trying to be a hero. And I thought that was huge. And the three walks today were huge for him too. It was glad to, I'm glad to see him being a little bit more patient, waiting until pitches come into his turbo zone and letting loose because he really did this week. Yeah. And I'm going to correct you here because that at bat actually got started soft. He will, it was, I think, change up and was it okay? Uh, yeah, it was. It was off speed to start the at bat, and I think Bobby's starting to realize that later in the game, especially after he's seen them a couple times, they're not going to come into him with fastballs early on because he's got it timed. They're going to try and throw him, especially a guy with this kind of power, soft stuff to lead off at bats. And unless it's in the middle of the zone, he's learning. I'm not. I'm not going to swing at those things early in counts. And really, uh, really mature at bat there, and it was good to see. 
Yeah, he did get fast. I know he got fastballs once he was three. At the end, yeah. yeah. The last three pitches were fastballs. It was strike, strike, and that outside fastball. The away. fact that the, the thing that impresses me most is that he didn't swing at the two fastballs that were in the zone, but were not the pitches he should be swinging at. They were like, they were good takes, even though they were fastballs in the zone. And so really impressive to see that from him. It wasn't always impressive from everyone. I mean, there were some there were some weak performers this week too. In a, in a three and three week, where you lose a series to Oakland, uh, Mike, tell us about a reliever who is normally very consistent for us, who had a little bit of a struggle this week. Yeah, Scott Barlow was not great. He uh, three point two innings pitched, gave up four hits, three earned runs, uh, one home run, one walk, five strikeouts. The the walks and the strikeouts, he, he usually does a pretty good job there. We were concerned a little bit with his uh, velocity for his fastball earlier in the year, and some at times it has ticked up back to where we're used to seeing it a little bit, but he gets used a lot, and that's one of the things that makes him valuable, but even those guys have breaking points, and I'm wondering if we're starting to see Scott Barlow wear down because we go to him. If we have a lead in the later innings, he pitches. Sometimes and even so, when we don't, if it's just close it's, it's, in the later innings, he pitches. <laughs> you know? Yeah. He, he yeah. And then so I, it was really rough to see that because especially in that uh, Angels game where I think everybody pitched, everybody got to pitch that game uh, in the second series uh, game of the Angels series. He struggled there, uh, gave up, I think, a big home, one of the big home runs to Otani. And yeah, it was it, it, it hasn't looked good for Scott Barlow this week. Still a lot of value, still a great reliever, still our best reliever. But he had a tough week. And here's what I wonder. And I've, you know, I've had this discussion. Is he a top end guy? Is he? Yeah, I'm going to you love him. <laughs> you love the value he gets with X ex- with going multiple innings. I've always thought that if Scott Barlow is your best reliever, you probably don't have a very good bullpen because he's I don't I've never considered him like a shutdown kind of guy, but there is value in multiple innings and things like that. There is value in Scott Barlow. I think right now you're seeing a a team leaning on him heavy and it's getting it's getting tough to to carry the team continuously in the bullpen. Yeah, I think if you're an elite team, if you're an L.A. Dodgers, if you're a New York Yankees right now, that sort of thing, maybe you don't want Barlow to be your number one guy out of the bullpen. But ideally, you'd have that number one guy. He's probably a one inning guy most of the time. And then you would have Barlow be some sort of massive Mm -hmm. weapon for you as a multi-inning reliever who can also be your second high leverage guy. Like that was probably his like best, best role. There are only a handful of teams that are going to have that level of a bullpen though. And they're going to be competing for world series. And so that's just not something that is realistic for a lot of teams. Barlow. I love struggled this week, but I think that was pretty, I think it's pretty fluky. I think he'll be fine. The guy I want to talk about has had sustained troubles, struggles for a while now, but he's one of my favorite prospects and that's Kyle Isbell. He went one for 13 this week with zero extra base hits, three strikeouts and no walks. I'm going to be flat out honest and say that I think he struggles so much this week and has struggled for a while because he only plays once or twice every week. And that's hurting him so much. Not getting consistent plate appearances has completely crushed his confidence. You could see it at the plate today. He was like trying to swing out of his shoes. It's like he's trying to hit a five run home run every time he's up at the plate or trying to make a great play on the base pass every time he's on the bases. It's like he's trying to prove himself that he needs deserves more playing time. And when you do that, all you're going to do is look worse. And that's how he's looked. He's looked like a dude who desperately wants to play more. And it's only hurting him. And it really hurt him this week. He made a key base running mistake that cost them dearly on Saturday in that Oakland game, maybe cost them the game uh, because, you know, they had nobody out. They had a guy on second and first. They were down by like a run or tied or something like that. 
He tries to take off for third on a ball in the dirt and does not make it, does not come close. That's an out on the base path. Now it's just a guy on first with one out, and it all ended up unraveling from there. Uh, And so Kyle Isbell, rough, rough week for him this week. They need to use him better. They need to either play him every day or send him back down because right now what he's doing isn't helping his development at all. And he is a guy who should contribute for them. He is, he can hit at the major league level. I know it. I know it for a fact. And if he doesn't do it here, trust me, he's going to do it somewhere else because if the Royals like don't want him or he'll play out his rookie contract or whatever, and then boom, he's going to a team that's going to use him right. And that'll be a lot more. He'll have a lot more success in another program, a team that's going to let him play every day. And yeah. And I feel that for him. I don't like, that the Royals do this so often, bring up guys and then, oh, here's your one day a week, especially guys that you hope are part of your future. You hope that they are somebody that you can lean on later. And when you look at guys, you go, okay, is Carlos Santana going to be next to the, going to be on the next successful Royals team? No. Could Kyle Isbell? He, he should be. I mean, you're hoping he is because if not, that, should means, be. That, yeah. that means that they're gonna, it's going to be a long time before they're good again. And so why you're then giving, you know, Carlos Santana, I understand you want to trade him and you got to get let showcase him or whatever but you have to know if kyle isbell is going to be an everyday guy or is a is he a fourth outfielder guy you have to know these things and and that's what seasons like this are for that it's a little frustrating and i i think the fan base doesn't like kyle isbell very much like and i don't know why i i I, I don't know maybe they they don't don't see him like i don't know why they think maybe he's not the hustling gritty type guy that like a nikki lopez or a Whit Merrifield kind of thing is, but yeah. And, and the at bats, he takes too many it's called third strikes. You know, he, he, he probably, he may, he may be one of the guys you want to be a little bit more aggressive than what he is. We don't have very many of them, but he might be one of them. So yeah, it, it was rough to watch this week. Some of the baseball was rough to watch this week. The stuff on, on defense and on the base paths, that is what always gets to me. Cause even if you're a bad team, if you're a team that doesn't have the talent to compete, you should be able to teach defense and base running. Like you should be able to catch the ball and run the bases without getting out. So my theme for the week was just some of this shit is easy, right? Like I know it's hard to hit a baseball. I know it's hard to pitch at a high level. It's not hard to know that if you run to the next base, you're going to be out by 10 feet. That's not hard. Some of this shit is easy. Okay. And if it's easy, what the hell are you doing? Like, why are you getting out? Why are we consistently making mistakes that are easy to not make is my question. You know, it cost us that Oakland series base running cost us base running and catching fly balls that are hit into the sun that cost us the Oakland series, right? Which is nuts. (laughs) There are high school players who know how to do that. They were, they were strategically hitting the ball into the sun. (laughs) Well done. You're playing 4D chess over there, Oakland. Yeah, no, it's it's one of those things. It's just like, hey, guys, some of this shit is easy. Can we take care of the easy shit at least? Like, I'm not asking you to go out and, you know, put up eight runs against Otani. I'm asking you to not drop balls in the sun. I'm asking you to not get thrown out by 50 feet on the bases. Is that so tough? That doesn't sound tough to me. And as Royals fans, we are no, um, we're no novices to bad baseball. But no, even in the years when they it. weren't very good, you were like, oh, okay, well, they run the bases pretty well. They play defense pretty well. In a, in a game that doesn't really value those things very much, it's at least something to hold on to. Right now, that's hard to say about them. It's hard to say, hey, well, we've got this one thing we're good at. Like, we're really good at defense. Or we're really good at this. Now, nah, right now, we're not doing any of those things. My, uh, my theme for the week, remember that great album by Guster, Keep It Together? Yes. 
of course. It's classic. If you're if you're not a fan of Guster, you should be. Like that's my theme. It, it kind of feels like with the injury to Salvi and with the other ups and downs of people coming from AAA and all the the wore out arms that we have in the bullpen and all this sort of stuff, it kind of feels like the wheels are flying off to me. Like, oh my gosh, we're just scrapping and scrounging. Now, first, it's way too early in the season to be doing that, and it feels weird to me. But we got to try and keep it together, you know? Now, not in the sense that we need to keep all these players here because we got to start getting rid of guys. We got to get Benintendi traded. We got to get Santana traded if we can. Wit, probably. But it, it just feels like the wheels are falling off in more ways than one. And that's tough to to watch sometimes. And maybe things like those awful base running mistakes are part of that. Maybe you press so hard because it feels like we're everything's going bad and everything's falling apart, but uh, it's, it's hard to watch. You know, you got to keep it together. And the hard part is who does that for teams, leaders, veteran leaders. Well, Salvador Perez is their veteran leader and he's down right now. So it's kind of rough, you know? Yeah. I've just never seen them as a keep it together kind of team. In fact, what's interesting is, I think this team often has a lot of players who are, what's the word I'm looking for? Not great up here. I'm pointing to my head for those of you who listen to this. um, Not great in the (laughs) mental aspect of the game. They press too much. They're too anxious. They're just, they're wound so friggin' tight. Look at Brady Singer. Look at, look at a lot of the Hunter Dozier. Look at a lot of these guys. They're just wound so friggin' tight sometimes that I'm like, oh, they're going to crap out a diamond. You know, like it's one of those kind of, one of those kinds of teams to me. It always feels like that kind of team to me. And I'm like, okay, guys, just take a breath because you seemingly can't just relax and play this game. You're all trying out here trying to hit 500 home runs when we're, you know, 20 games under 500, you know, and never going to compete this year. Just relax. There's nothing to worry about now. It's over. The season is over. Just relax. All right, for those of you who haven't heard this before, I want you to know that if you like what you're hearing, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review on whatever platform you use. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing helps people find the show and helps us build a larger community. If you leave a five-star rating and good review, we make sure to read your review on the show. You give it a shout-out. We say, hey, this person said something good about us, and we read it. Also, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We're constantly posting new analysis and commentary. Check that out. It's really good. Sometimes, sometimes it's good. Sometimes, sometimes Mark gives me control and it's just jokes and if, yeah, nothing else. <laughs> it's, it's, it's snarky and witty, uh, gifts. That's, yeah. uh, you know, if nothing else. Yeah. Oh that. yeah. Yeah. We spend a lot of time focused on the Royals young hitters and starting rotation because those areas still aren't where they need to be for the team to find success. But there's another area that could use some attention as well. The Royals bullpen has talent, and yet there are times when it looks like a dumpster fire swallowed a train wreck headed for a shit factory, if that makes sense. That's Mm -hmm. that's just how it came to my mind, you know, like Mm -hmm. uh, they currently rank 28th in reliever ERA, 27th in reliever fielding independent pitching, and they're tied for 26th in reliever strikeout percentage and dead last in reliever walk rate. Dead last in walk rate. That's not a surprise. If you make it to the later innings, it's not a surprise that they lead in reliever walk rate. It's truly an indictment of whoever leads this pitching staff, whoever that may be. We don't know who that is, but whoever leads this pitching staff, he's doing a pretty bad job. Uh, We're going to focus on this, this week's spotlight segment on the bullpen in an effort to understand where it is, where it needs to go to help the Royals win games. Mike, how would you assess the performance of the bullpen so far? I'm going to start by disagreeing with you. I, I think that there's a lack of talent in this bullpen. And not that these guys don't have stuff, some of them, 
But like I said, I don't think we have a top end guy. I don't think we have a guy. And I know we like to think that Josh Stamont is that. Like he's that shut down guy that could take in in the past would be your ninth inning guy and all that stuff. I don't think we have that consistently. I think Josh Stamont is a good piece to a bullpen. I think Scott Barlow is a good piece to a bullpen. But after that, you have a lot of guys that are also Rams. You know, I Amir Garrett is is just another guy for me. To be clear, I said I just said it has talent. I didn't say it has a lot <laughs> Sorry, or enough. Doesn't talent. have. I yeah. just said it has. <laughs> okay, talent. then let's say this. I think it needs more. <laughs> I think they need more talent okay. to start with. I, I just don't. Dylan Coleman is a guy that I like still. I, I do. When he's not walking guys, when his command is good, I think he's a good piece in a bullpen. After those three guys, I think you're still lacking some things. I think you just need more talent in the bullpen. And when I look down at the minor league level, I see some guys that might be possible things, but I don't see a guy you're like, that guy is going to. When Dylan Coleman was coming up last year, we go, that guy is going to be a part of a major league bullpen. He is certainly capable of being a good reliever. I look down there now and I don't see that guy. I mean, if you do, let me know. Tell me. I just don't see that. At Certainly not at AAA. There may be, you might be able to point to like, okay, well, Will Klein kind of has the stuff that you would see in a bullpen arm, um, stuff like that. But I just, I mean, who knows? Maybe Asa Lacey someday is a bullpen piece if he can't figure out the starting pitching thing. But I, it lacks depth. It lacks talent on the top end for me. And it's a little surprising because that's been the one thing you could kind of rely on for the Royals is no matter what, they were going to be able to cobble together a bullpen that was pretty solid. And that has not been the case. It, it, it caught up to them. They are not able to, or they haven't done that this year. Now, some of the guys, they were probably counting on Brent's to be what he was last year, which may have been a mistake. They were probably hoping to get a lot more out of some of these other guys, but it's just not happening. Yeah, I think I have a little bit more optimism when it comes to this bullpen, I think. I'm I'm kind of meh when it comes to this bullpen. And I mean that in the best way, honestly, because it feels like they're still learning and feeling around for who they can trust, you know? What's weird is when I when I list out the names of the people on this bullpen, there are five or six guys where I'm like, yeah, I like him. I, I want him to be a part of this bullpen. But the problem is they've had to use way more than five or six guys. They've had to use like, 10 to 12 guys and they cycled through a bunch of guys who didn't do jack for them before they started finding guys they might like, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, Foster Griffin has pitched for this bullpen, you know, Brady Singer was in the bullpen for a little bit for an inning or outing or two, you know, they just, they've just cycled through so many guys in this bullpen that they're just not, they're not sure what they want. And they've, I would say they've been overused, but they actually haven't. They've only, they've pitched the 15th most innings, of anybody in the league. They've just been used. They've just used some guys who aren't any good, you know, like Colin Snyder turned into a pumpkin pretty quick. Uh, a few other Brents looks terrible and was maybe hurt. Who knows? So you're right about that, but there is talent here is the thing that I, that I sort of look at. I assess their performance and I say, well, clearly it hasn't been good enough, but there is talent there. You know, I look at Barlow. I look at Stamont. I look at Kaus. I look at Coleman. I look at, you know, see Quas. I, See, I'm not I'm not sold on Quas yet. You know, I'm not sold on Quas. Honestly, I'm not really sold on Piomps yet. Well, you I know, Piomps has an ERA under three this year out of the Royals bullpen. You know, that, yeah, that's yeah. I know good. he's having a solid year, but you know, we know we both know about bullpen volatility and that it's it's something yeah, you can and it bank is a on thing. all the time. It is a but, thing. Um, it is. I just and you're you might be right that they don't have that 
number one guy, that guy who looks like Wade Davis did in his prime. But I think they have some depth in this bullpen. It's just, it's meh right now. The performance has been meh. And we we have to talk about walks, right? Because that's a Coleman issue and things like that. And if that's an issue, I think I know who I'm pointing a finger at <laughs> for walks among this relievers staff. I mean, you have a pitching coach right now who can't get any of his pitchers to not walk guys. Like, so, you know, I'm looking in that direction when I think like, if we could get a different pitching coach in here, maybe this bullpen takes a step forward when it stops walking so many people. And I think that's a, that's a, for sure. And in the starting rotation too, he, you know, you stop walking as many guys, both are going to improve. The one guy that I kind of like say, okay, I think he's probably something I like Gabe Spire. I do. I think he, the arm that he Mm -hmm. has, if he can keep that velocity up on his fastball, I think he's the kind of guy that can be a useful piece. But other than that, when I look at those guys, Dylan Coleman, and then the guys that we've had for a little while in, in Stalmont and Barlow are, are helpful pieces, but I just don't see it with, I, like, I'm not sold on Quas, I'm not sold on Piops. I'm not sold on a lot of these, a lot of those guys are the same. Megnan, that guy's, you know, he's a journeyman. He'll be bouncing back and forth from AAA to the majors with several teams. I, it seems like with Megden and the Peacocks and, and all those guys, it looks like they're looking for the guys who they think are going to be the next Brent, the guys who are the next out of nowhere guys who they can turn into serviceable bullpen pieces. You know, they've tried Matt Peacock. They've tried Quas, They've tried a bunch of guys, Piomps, and they had Tapia earlier in the year and things like that. It looks like they're like, okay, who's going to be next year's bullpen for us? Because, you know, they're, if they don't trade Stamon or Barlow, they know they'll have those two. They know they'll have Coleman. And then they're going to be like, then who? Well, Brent's might be back. Maybe Quas looks like he's going to be good. You know, if, if Spire looks like he's, you know, gives them more consistent innings and things like that. You know, the, the funny thing is I look at this bullpen and I see talent, but their numbers are garbage. Yeah. And so I mean, we can definitely point to the things we know they need to do. They need to walk fewer guys. I think they need more variety in the pen. I think they need, like, I like Quas so much because he's different from all the other guys in their bullpen, a sort of sidearming lefty or righty who throws this devastating sinker slider combo. Nobody else does that in their bullpen. Good. I like that. Spire is a little bit different than a lot of the guys they have in the bullpen. You know, it's, it's guys who are different. I like the, I like the approach of having a bullpen full of guys who are different from their other guys. I like that too. And I agree that they need more variety, but when I look at um, the pitches that some of these guys throw, none of them really stand out to me to be a a solid reliever. We've talked about this in the past. If you're going to be a two pitch reliever, you have to have two really good pitches when you look at that list of guys that we talked about, how many of them have two really good pitches? Quas, I don't even think has two really good pitches. Yeah, the I sinker. Think I think the sinker is probably marginal. You know, I think it's, uh, I think both of them are good. I think Coleman has two really good pitches if he can yeah. command them. You know, I I think Spire can if the fastballs of velocity is where it should be, can have two really good pitches. So I, I think I, he's got three pitches though. Three, he, he'll yeah. use his changeup sometimes, and that that sets him apart a little bit. Mm-hmm. As does Clark. Clark will occasionally use his changeup. Uh, which makes the things a little different for him. Yeah, but I but I, I just don't think any of his pitches are as good as they probably need to be to be a a, a solid reliever. You know, like it, it, I, I'm I don't have a lot of faith in a lot of these guys. If you haven't picked up on I, that, I was gonna say. Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, if you look at the overall numbers, your position is the right one. I mean, like their numbers are terrible. They have been bad. Um, but we'll see what it all shakes out to in the end. In the, at the by the end of the season. But I can't help but identify. What's weird is if you look at them as individuals, they look a lot better than you look at them as a whole. 
Uh, I mean that in terms of the numbers too, because you have guys like Coleman's ERA is under three and a half. You know, Stallons is around three something, three and a half to four. Barlow's is under three. You know, Spires is low. Piams is under three. If you look at all these guys as individuals, their numbers aren't terrible. The problem is they've thrown a lot of guys whose numbers are very bad. Yeah. And that's really what's setting them apart. Uh, Mayor Garrett and last I, I saw over seven for his ERA. Ter- he's been terrible. Been terrible. Obviously, they could trade a few of these guys away, a trade few of these bullpen pieces. There's probably a definitely demand for Barlow. Stamont might have some some demand out there, too. Is that something that you think the Royals should be looking to do? And if so, who would you like to see them look to move? I think bullpen's always something you have to look to trade. If you've got valuable pieces in the bullpen, because they, they are easier to acquire, they're easier to develop in the sense that if you have a starter that can't make it as a starter, you can often shift them to the bullpen. They are cheaper to acquire in the offseason and things like that. And the Royals have shown the ability to pick up guys that are maybe marginal at certain other things and make them solid, valuable bullpen pieces. I think, though, the best way to do this, and and I think Royals Farm Report talked about this in maybe their last podcast or the one before that, I would like to see an approach where you package, because the great thing about a bullpen arm is every single team that's going to be in contention wants them everyone like nobody goes you know what our bullpen is fine it's it's as good as it could ever be so if a team is interested in one of my playing prospects like an Andrew Benintendi I'm going to try and package one of those high-end relievers with them so that the prospect return that I get is a little bit higher because I don't think it's worth it going okay well we're going to trade you this bullpen arm for a lottery ticket bullpen arm because bullpen arms aren't as valuable so or a lottery ticket low a starter that we don't really believe in. So yeah, I, I would like to see them package them with other guys. I don't want to see them sold off individually. Yeah. I think that makes a whole lot of sense because a Ben and by himself, you're only getting two months of them. Whereas you give Ben and and Barlow who you're going to get another year and a half out of, you know, that can get you something that makes you from a prospect in the 10 to 15 range to a prospect, maybe in the five to 10 range. Uh, and then maybe another piece in the in the 10 to 15 range, you know. So, yeah, I think that's a really good idea. I'd love to see those guys, if they're going to get moved packaged with Ben Benintendi or Witt or Michael A. Taylor or something like that. Bullpen should be the last thing you round out before you're ready to start competing. And the Royals, you can do it quickly. You don't have to develop guys over long periods of time in the minors and things like that. Bullpens are relatively cheap. Yeah, you should definitely be uh, be moving bullpen pieces if if you're capable of doing it. And you can you can move on from the guys who you have less control of. Don't move Dylan Coleman because you've got like six, five years, six years of control left of him. Don't move Gabe Spire. Don't move those guys. But if somebody wants Barlow, who's I think a free agent in 2025, yeah, sure, go ahead and move him. Some of these guys could still be a part of the next competitive team, like the Col- Coleman, Spires, and so on. Of the guys in the bullpen currently, Mike, who do you think could be a part? Who do you have faith in to be a part of the next Royals competitive bullpen? Yeah, well, I'm not going to talk about Barlow and Stalmont here because I think that's kind of obvious. There are two best. If they could traded, they won't be a part of it anyway. I think Gabe Spire, we, I, I mentioned him. I think he's got a, a solid enough set of pitches to go out and still be a consistent reliever. Dylan Coleman, we like as long as he's throwing strikes. The couple guys I'm going to talk about, though, that I like that I think can be good. Ronald Bolaños. I think Bolaños can be a valuable piece in a bullpen for some of the reasons that Barlow is. He can go multiple innings. I don't think he has any pitch that is as good as Barlow's slider, but I think he can be a, a usable piece. Now, he's gone down to AAA and been inconsistent down there, mostly because he's walking guys, and that seems to be like a 
leitmotif of the, <laughs> the Royals. What, what is he a Royals a pitcher? Yeah, is he walking guys? <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's wild. But I do think there is uh, some potential there for Ronald Bolaños, and then possibly Jake Brents. We saw him do it for an entire season when he was healthy. Now the negative thing, he's now been put put on the sixty day IL, and after you know he was in his rehab stuff and went under the sixty day IL when he got reevaluated. So it who knows what you're getting back when he's done, who knows when he'll be back. But if he can be the guy he was last year, if really for him, if he can harness that command and stay out of the middle of the plate, he can be one of those effectively wild kind of lefties too, but he's got to be around the plate some. Like you can't be effectively wild and never throw strikes. And so I think he does have some potential. I in the, I mentioned this earlier though. I don't know that there's a guy in the pipeline where you go, that's a guy that's going to be a top end guy in a bullpen. So that still worries me a little bit. But those are the guys that I, I think are interesting pieces moving forward. And I'll mention a couple others and when we get to our next part here. But I think those are the guys that we've already seen as bullpen arms that I think might be able to be effective bullpen arms in the future. Well, I, I think they want Will Klein to be that guy. I think they want Will Klein to be that ace reliever. I, I think they really have to prioritize getting a pitching coach in here who can help guys throw strikes. That's like number one thing the whole team needs. If somebody says, big picture, what do the Royals need worse than anything? I'm saying someone who can teach pitchers how to throw strikes because think about all the problems that might solve both in the rotation and in the bullpen. If Will Klein starts throwing more strikes, if Dylan Coleman starts throwing more strikes, if, you know, Josh Stomart starts throwing more strikes, all these guys, if they throw the ball in the strike zone more frequently and have better command, that just revolutionizes their whole pitching staff. And that's going to be a big part of whether or not the bullpen can be successful. If guys like, you know, Spire and Piomps and and Quas and those Coleman and those guys, if they're all throwing more strikes, they're not walking so many people in this bullpen. It looks a lot better. I think you previewed this already, but is there anybody that you want to see moving forward, get more of an opportunity? Who do you want to watch more moving forward as a potential bullpen piece in the future? Well, I want to see Quas pitch more because I do think there's potential from him. I haven't seen him enough to say, Hey, I absolutely believe in this guy or I don't. But I, 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 I want to see him pitch more. Bolaños, I want to see pitch more at the major league level. But here's two guys that are going to be interesting moving forward. Jackson Kowar, what does it look like now that he's up in Major League Baseball coming out of the bullpen? And possibly a Carlos Hernandez. You know, I want Carlos Hernandez. I want them to try and make Kowar and Hernandez. I think you try and keep them starting as long as you can. But if at some point you have to move them to the bullpen, what? how do they look? How do they look out of the bullpen? How does Jackson Kowar's fastball play when he's only having to throw an inning or an inning, you know, an inning two thirds? How does Hernandez's fastball play when he does that? What pitches does Hernandez use when he's coming out of the bullpen? We've seen him do stuff out of the bullpen in the past, but you know, how does he set up as a reliever? You know, maybe, you know, who knows? We maybe Hernandez becomes an elite level guy out of the bullpen with a, with a, where he can, when he can throw 99 because he's only throwing for an inning or 100, and he relies heavily on one or two other pitches that develop more as he throws them. I don't know. Like maybe that's Jackson Kowar. You know, if he come if Jackson Kowar comes out and he's just destroying as a reliever, the Royals are going to start asking the question, hey, do we keep him in the bullpen? I, I never, comes, I, my answer is almost always no. If he's doing that out of the bullpen, try and make, and this was the thing with Wade Davis, right? He was always so good out of the bullpen. Right. Early right. on, and then they were like, hey, and they even did this with him in Tampa. 
we were like, well, we got to try and as a starter again. It just never worked as a starter because his stuff played down so much over a long stretch of time. Whereas when you were getting it in one inning, it played up so much. If either one of those guys can do that, you might have yourself a top end guy. I got to tell you, if, if Kowar came out and was like lights out out of the bullpen, I would be really tempted to just be like, all right, just stay there. Because he's had so many issues trying to start in the major league level. And yeah, maybe he deserves another shot at it. But I want success so badly for him that I'm like, wherever you find it, man, just just stay there. Just be, just be there and have success. Uh, I'm, I'm really interested to see more from Megden. I, I've looked at his numbers and watched him pitch and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. He's an interesting guy. I don't know if he's anything in You're the future. You're being fooled but, you by know, the mustache. It's because you wish you had that mustache. Why would I want that mustache when I can you have, have this a ter- oh, man? And if this I wish mustache. you guys can't probably can't see it, but look at this garbage thing on his face. It, it is not a mustache. It is it is a place it's, he forgot to wash. It's like okay, all the ladies are coming up to me and just being like, "Hey, I love that mustache. That's that's nice." It's like Tom Selleck had a baby with Chester A. Arthur. I love it. It looks fucking gorgeous. Um, Anyway, I'm interested to see stuff from Megden. There's a guy down in AAA right now named Josh Dye, who I don't think is ever going to be anything special out of a bullpen, but lefty, lanky, weird delivery, uh, maybe could be something different. Remember, I like variety. And so he could be something different, a different look out of the bullpen and kind of a serviceable, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh guy out of your pen. And so I'm fine with him. I'm interested to see more from him moving forward. One thing I think we would be remiss if we didn't mention here, uh, Nate Webb, he's just coming back, I think, from injury, maybe in the minor league level. The Royals put him on the 40-man to protect him. Lee Summit North's own, Nate Webb. I don't know if he's ever going to be a guy, but maybe at some point he ends up being a guy that that fits into the future of this bullpen. But obviously the Royals like him if they protected him on the 40-man. So, yeah. yeah, they did that for Colin Snyder, too. How's that worked out? The Royals finished their homestand with a three-game set against the Texas Rangers before hitting the road for another three-gamer against Detroit Tigers. Mike, tell us about Bobby Witt Jr.'s hometown team. Well, they are doing, I guess, what I they are playing over what I thought they would. Let me put it that way. They are 34 and 37. They're second in the AL West, 10 and a half behind the Astros. So I don't know that they're going to be a team that Really, I think they're gonna make it. Yeah, but um, make it. But I don't think really anybody thought that they would be doing that this year, even so, or not too many people. Uh, in that first game, it'll be Chris Bubich. There's we, we haven't talked about Bubich at all today. <laughs> like this is the first time we've mentioned his name. Uh, Do we have to talk about him every week? No. <laughs> I mean, um, Chris Bubich will go against Martin Perez, who's having a crazy year. He's probably like, leading the AL Cy Young race. Yeah, 31-year-old left-handed pitcher. He's got a 1.96 ERA and a 1.13 whip. He's been around for a long time. Sinker, 92-93, a changeup, a cutter. He, he's a ground ball guy. He has a really high ground ball rate at 53%. But he is only one time in his career, which is I think goes back to 2012 is when he came up in the Major League Baseball. Um, only once has he had an ERA below 4.25, and that was in 2013. Okay. And this year he's got a 1.96. He's doing crazy. And that's a, a large part of that's due to um, he's limiting his home run rate. He's at a home run rate that's been kind of high uh, for his entire career. And it's crazy low right now. His The bat bib against him is not unreasonable. It's almost 300. But he's he's really doing a good job of limiting the home runs and, and getting ground balls to get out of things. So that'll be a tough one. Uh, two, two left-handed pitchers there, not particularly hard throwers 
in Bubich and Perez. Second game, we'll see my boy John Heasley against Jonathan Gray, a guy that we thought if the Royals were being aggressive in free agency, they would have gotten Jonathan Gray. 30-year-old right-hander out of Oklahoma, 4.18 ERA, 1.18 whip. He's got a good uh, mid-90s fastball with a slider and a changeup. Former first-round pick. Uh, he's due for some negative regression on that fastball, probably. Uh, he's due to have that be hit, I think. And let's see if the Royals can be that team. Yeah, the expected slugging on that is much higher than the actual slugging. I think the actual slugging on his fastball right now is in the high 300s, but the expected is over 500. So yeah. uh, some guys who are hitting it hard, and it's just going right to people. Yeah, and then that, that third game, we'll get to see uh, Zach Granke again, making his second start after coming off the IL, versus Dane Dunning, a guy that we've seen a little bit. 27-year-old right-hander out of Florida, 4.17 ERA uh, with a 1.33 whip. He's a, a soft tossing righty with a sinker in the high 80s and low 90s, a slider, change-up cutter, another ground ball guy. Uh, but people have really hit his change-up. Kind of the, the the thing that has sustained the Rangers' push this year to be a 500 team finally is uh, the emergence of Adolis Garcia in center field, breakout offensively. He's 491 slugging and 15 home runs. Now, they don't have a huge ballpark uh, in Texas, but you've also seen Nate Lowe have a good season. I was trying to think when, when I read this in the rundown, I was like, the Rangers haven't done an especially good job of bringing up talent recently and developing it but i think nate Lowe might be somebody that they've kind of done done a pretty good job position player wise of developing yeah and i honestly i don't know it doesn't really matter because right now they're chasing the houston astros and that's not going to change <laughs> uh after after the rangers the uh the, the royals will hop on a plane and head down to houston uh the astros are 45 and 27 leading the al west by 10 and a half games i think because they're really good uh trash cans or not they they can hit the baseball and so uh, all I have here on the rundown is really freaking good. We don't have probables yet for this, <laughs> for this, uh, series. Uh, I will say six of their starting nine, the guys who sort of start for them have OPS pluses of 120 or better. Now, if you don't know what OPS plus is, it's just like a measure of your OPS, uh, rated against, uh, sort of like, um, rated against everybody else's. And so 100 is average. They have nine guy or six of their nine are over 120. It's insane. That is crazy. And one of the guys who isn't 120 is Martin Maldonado, their catcher, who's only in there to play defense. And he's um, a really good one. So he's a really good defensive catcher. He's good at defense. <laughs> he's, he's terrible offensively, and they're fine with that. They're yeah. like, we don't care if you suck offensively because six two-thirds of our life is Because we have Jordan Alvarez. Because <laughs> we have Jordan Alvarez. Jordan Alvarez is has an OPS plus of 197 right now. I've never seen somebody with one over 200 this late in the season, and he is damn close. Uh, that's how good of a hitter he is. They have Altuve, of course, and Alex Bregman, all guys who are crushing the ball, playing good defense. That's a friggin' really good team. The pitching staff, also incredible, equally incredible, I would say. Led by the ageless wonder, Justin Verlander. Uh, he's just out there, continues to deal, even though he's like 170. Um, Framber Valdez, Christian Javier, they're having great seasons as well. That's going to be a really tough series. They to no hit the Yankees the other day, did they? Yeah. Yeah, no hit the Yankees the other day. Insane. We'll end this week's episode like we end every episode with our Just A Bit Outside segment, where we talk about something that's interesting to us outside the world of baseball. Mike, you have a very boring life, typically. But I know you did something fun yesterday. You threw a big party yesterday that I couldn't go to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we had a little a little Suarez, 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 Suarez. I think Suarez is how they say it in Versailles, Missouri. Uh, <laughs> 
tell us, tell us what's going on in your life outside of baseball. Well, yeah, we had a Freedom Fest here in Greenwood, Missouri. Big, big deal down here in Greenwood. So I did have some people over yesterday. But I'm going to talk about playing the lottery. I've been thinking about playing the lottery a lot lately. And, you know, obviously, because I would just love a large Why? influx of cash in my life. But then I started really thinking, like, is the lottery a good thing? So a lot of people talk about the, the lottery as like a tax on poor people where it's like, hey, you know, you're never going to win. You're just throwing your money away and all that stuff. And then I started thinking. I remember there when I was like, I don't know, maybe in my late teens or early twenties, I, I would play Powerball every now and again. And I would sometimes I wouldn't even check to see if I won. Like it was just having the ticket and knowing I had the possibility of winning, no matter how small. You've left millions on yeah, the table. Probably. Like there is a you, you lost millions. <laughs> but it's it puts you in that my mental mindset of, man, I could dream a little bit about this cash. And so is that a good thing? Is that a good thing that I, I could be like it puts me in a, a happier, a, a little bit more um, dreamy kind of mental state instead of thinking about, you know, the what's going on in our country or my job or the responsibilities that I have for five or 10 minutes. I get to sit back and think, man, what if I actually won that jackpot? What would I do with the money? Or And that that makes me happy. I, I don't know why, but it does. And so I'm, I'm now wondering, is playing the lottery a good thing? Like. I don't know. And yeah, yes, some of that You're money fantasizing. Goes, so, yeah. people like yeah, to fantasize. That's what it is. And some of that, that money is. does go to schools. I know probably not as much as should, but, um, but yeah, it, it, that's what I was just, I was sitting there contemplating this yesterday and going, should I go out and buy a lottery ticket? Cause it's probably been, gosh, I'm 36. It's probably been 15 years since I bought a lottery ticket. Um, like, you know, sometimes I'm given scratchers as a president or stuff, but I haven't gone and bought like a Powerball ticket in probably 15 years. So I was thinking about that today. Like, should I just swing by the gas station, buy a Powerball ticket? Meh. You're due. I probably am due. You're due. You're going to, you know, you're going to hit. It's going to oh, hit. I am due. I'm due like a Nikki Lopez home Roy- run. Royals. <laughs> yeah. Royals tickets on Mike, That's everybody. Right. He's He's going to win. I'm talking about modular homes and prefabricated homes. I've been looking into it. Mike and I are developing a plan to uh, flee to hopefully Portugal uh, when this country collapses. And so, uh, yeah, I, I've been looking into like, well, would I buy a house there if I flew, fled to Portugal or what? And I do have, I am buying a house before too long here in the United States as well. So I've been thinking about like, well, what if you didn't buy a house? What if you just had one built? What if you had a modular home built? I thought to myself. And so I started looking into the different types of modular homes. And what's weird is I had a conception of what a modular or prefabricated home was. And when I started looking into them, they are way like nicer now than the ones that I sort of imagined from my childhood, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like they, they have some intricate and very nice and, and, and interesting modular and prefabricated houses now. And so I spent a day yesterday just sort of scrolling through looking at these different floor plans and all these different types of modular and prefabricated houses they're really cool they're way cheaper they get done they get built faster it's just like a really interesting thing and it makes perfect sense when you think about it i mean it's like this is the 21st century why do we still build homes in the way we did in the 20th century like why don't we have a much more efficient and faster way to build a structure we call a home you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, it just it's doesn't not make like, any sense to me. And so like, it, I was really digging looking into modular houses. I'm going to keep looking into it. Maybe when I move to Portugal, I'll just build one. Well, and a lot of people were like, well, you know, when you get that, you're not getting a unique home. There are no homes that are unique anymore. Unique Nobody, home. 
Yeah. Uh, go nobody, to your block. Every house looks the same. Like yeah. I, I'm, I'm the suburbs where Mike lives. Every house is the same. I get confused. They're all the same. Well, I, I almost They're walk into other same. people's houses all you the know, time. You know what's crazy? So yesterday we were having people over and every single person goes, oh, I almost walked into your neighbor's house. Every exactly. single one of them did. Exactly. And these they are people who have been to my home multiple times. <laughs> Unless you're buying a house for over 500 grand, you're not getting a unique house. And so, you know what? <laughs> I'm not spending that much to get a quote unquote unique home. I'll, I'll take this this one that like you know somebody put together elsewhere and then just drove over to, over to this plot of land i own that sounds fun to me you know especially if it's going to be way cheaper yeah i i looked at those I, I think a while back when um it was after i bought my house but i was just i don't know i like real estate and i was looking around at stuff there are some weird things with modular homes like like uh you know connecting utilities and and all these other things that that are uh, in some places just don't like them. So they've written codes, you know, or city codes that won't allow them things like that. But um, yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's an interesting thing. Maybe, maybe that's what we do in the future in the, well, cause the whole big thing was remember people talk about like container homes, like you can take these containers and, and it's, you, you set them up however you want to, and you make homes out of that. That's kind of a cool thing as well. But maybe in the future, we all just live in cubes. It's like, here's a cube. That's what I'm, I'm down for that cube. future. Here's your cube. I'm, I am totally down for that future. Honestly. You know, when you're wealthy, totally you get like four cubes and you know, <laughs> when you're, when you're us, you get one, when you're cube. me, you get a cube, <laughs> you get half a cube here. You take half a cube. The thing I get the other half. Oh uh, yeah. Anyway, I'd like the Royals to give us more than half a cube this no week. Kidding. Yeah. That's a metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> that's a metaphor for me wanting them to win some games this week. It's going to be tough. Rangers aren't bad. And Houston is of course amazing. Hopefully they can grab a few wins this week. We'll talk about it again next week. Hopefully you can join us. Until then, be good to each other. Go Royals!